Welcome to Give and Take. It's the podcast where yours truly, Scott Jones, talks with authors, artists, activists, theologians, philosophers, political pundits, scholars, and a host of others about their work and the lens through which they experience life. I engage my guests in a free-flowing conversation that's entertaining, unexpected, occasionally bizarre, and hopefully enlightening above all. Thanks for listening to this episode of Give and Take. My guest is Bob Holman. In a New Yorker profile, Henry Louis Gates Jr. wrote, Holman has done more to bring poetries to cafes and bars than anyone since Ferland Getty. Holman brought the spoken word scene and poetry slams to New York City, first as the co-director of the New Yorican Poets Cafe, then as the founder of the Bowery Poetry Club. On December 3rd, 2019, Bowery Books simultaneously released two new books of poetry by Holman, written 50 years apart. Life Poem and The Unspoken served not only as bookends to a lifetime, immersed in words, performance, and the avant-garde, but they also show the evolution of an artist, an art form, and a downtown art scene that's gone from Allen Ginsberg to Lou Reed to Eileen Miles, to Mahogany L. Brown. These works show the roots of Holman's own personal mix of Appalachian storytelling, spoken word and poetry bravado, and New York whimsy and humor. Both works are a raucous celebration of a life lived as art and an invitation to the reader to join the party. I had a great time discussing them with their author. I give you Bob Holman. Bob, welcome to the podcast. I am so happy to be in the podcast. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's everything is about uh, prepositions and metaphors, right? Like That's in, right. on. Hey, so can, can I read four. a poem to you before we get into your own verse? Oh, I'd love to hear a poem. I actually want to read two to you, but oh, read two to me. So this is by the Red Wheelbarrow by William Carlos Williams. I don't know if I'm going to read it right, but I'll try. So much depends upon a red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater. Beside the white chickens. Great job. Yeah, that is the poem. That's a classic. You know, so much depends upon. Yeah, you know, um, what, well, all I can say is, you know, it's couplets, right? It's, it's, the verses are two lines each, but the second line of each couplet is just a word or two. So each two lines forms a long line and a little bitty line. It's like a wheelbarrow itself. It's a concrete poem to begin with. Each two line verse is uh, a wheelbarrow and so much depends on everything right <laughs> right <laughs> so i want to read another poem too, okay which is comes from the same um, era roughly this is by t.s Eliot, mr Eliot's sunday morning service mm. you know the poem mm. i don't know no. i'm guessing you know I, I no. thought, so this is i mean i it it, it probably it sounds like the antithesis of that poem right so the um, ellipsis is look look master here comes two religious caterpillar caterpillars and the uh, inscription of Jew of Malta. And then the poem is polyphilo progenitive, the sapient sutlers of the Lord drift across the window panes. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the word superfetation of Tohen. And at the menstrual turn of time produced innervit origin, a painter of the Umbrian school designed upon a jesto ground, the nimbus of the baptized God, the wilderness is cracked and browned. But through the water, pale and thin, still shine the unoffending feet. And there above the painter sat the father and the paraclete. Okay, okay, okay. The sabler 
the sable presbyter's <laughs> approach, the avenue of penitence, the young are red and pustular, right. clutching. <laughs> you're, you're, you're frustrated, Oh, uh, right? well, I don't know. But, you know, yeah, you you really picked uh, the uh, the Eliotic uh, obverse, that's for sure. You know, like, um, who the heck? It sounds like Jabberwock, doesn't it? Yeah. That Lewis Carroll, you know, Twas Brillig in the in the Fithy Tove, you know? Uh it's uh, it's just uh, you know it's marvelous piled upon l- l- you know sound language burps. You know? The last line of it is okay. Sweeney shifts from ham to ham, stirring the water in his bath. The masters of the subtle schools are controversial, polymath. And so I feel like Eliot there is is almost the, the criticism you were making of his poetry. He's trying mm. he's because like, I I think Sweeney was his boxing. Coach at Harvard is that right? Well, no, he uses Sweeney a lot as his sort of everyman. Yeah, and he's sort of like he's in his bath. Yeah, and he's—I feel like he's saying if poets and theologians and men of letters can't get to Sweeney, what the hell are they doing? Well, it's yeah, it is. Well, you know, it's it's it's, of course it's a great rhyme with bath and polymath. You know, I don't know if I've ever seen that rhyme before. We should send it over to Hip Hop One Hundred One right now. (laughs) You know, and they both have chicken jokes like. Because Tohen uh, is a, you know, it's, it's, it's Greek. He writes actually in Greek, but it's like, it's a chicken. So these two oh, guys man. are like. Poles. Right. Like they're basically yeah. saying, screw you to each other. The future oh, of poetry. Yeah. yeah. But as I read your stuff, I was thinking you thread the needle of, because you talk about it. I mean, you, you have some, lots of citations if you pay the attention to the, sort of the great poets of the past, but you're, but you're, you know, you have the kind of directness yeah of yeah, yeah. of the red wheelbarrow yep yep that is and and you know and then then from that through uh you know my my immediate uh progenitors you know the new york school and the beats you know frank o'hara is always talking to you his personism manifesto of why should you write a poem if you can pick up a phone and call somebody and tell it to them you know um it's a it's a direct address. It's it's unadorned, and yet I'm totally in love with language, like Eliot, and and uh, don't mind throwing it around, making it up, and pushing it over. You know, the same way again, it, it, hip hop uh, does that too. You're, you're you know, there's the neologisms out of out of uh, hip hop are, are what is driving the language right now. So you, I mean, you are a celebrated. American poet, you've been part of, I mean, it's a modern tradition, but it's a, it's a deep tradition, right? Like, do you feel like, I mean, I'm a cultural Philistine, right? Like by and large, do, do you feel like you've written, you know, you've released two books, one that was written in your youth, the other, you know, written upon reflection of, of a life well lived or a, a life lived. I'm not judging <laughs> well or poor or whatever, but like, do, is it, do you feel like an exile? Like, cause there's just not, people just don't, Pay attention to poetry, it seems. Oh, yeah, that old saw, you know. Um, first, thanks, Scott, for doing this on the publication date of these two books, yeah. you know, which are written 50 years apart. You're right. It's kind of an exciting moment. Where's the cake? Um, that uh, I, I don't feel that at all. You know, if, if, if you're a, a poet, then you're going to uh, be in that tradition and that tradition has always been here i love the fact that uh that the orality of poetry that the was part of the community going all the way back to the to the 
spark of consciousness. You know, you've always wanted language to mean what it means, but also it's our way of touching each other without touching each other. And poetry is, just as language is the essence of humanity, poetry is the essence of language. That's why we do it. It ain't, you know, and does it fit in the world or not? Of course it fits in the world because it's always been here. You know, if you want to say that you you don't read, and right now is a moment when poetry is being used for all kinds of political activist purposes as well as for these meditations on the uh, on the infinite do you think like in Homer's day, poets also felt like, hey, we're not, it, it, was it always a struggle, you think? To no, get it wasn't a struggle. In the, it's not a struggle when poet was, when poetry was orality. It was with the invention of the book, of writing, you know, that it became something arcane and developed a way of hanging in on the page in a way that made it harder to get it off of the page. When the, when the, when the bard was moving from town to town and people were coming around to hear the stories, then, uh, then the, those stories filled their ears and brought the the world into that campfire. You know that was that was that was poetry doing its job then. Poetry as 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 literacy as text began to uh, get more and more outside of, of of everyday life. Let's say, and not all poetry was doing this. Um, then it began to become poetry for poets in a way that that led into that kind of amb- ambiguous nothingness that you're talking about. But right now, as we move into third consciousness, into digital. Poetry is starting to happen, is, is starting to propel itself once again. People are writing poems on their cell phones. They're using texts. They're, you know, the, the, the poets who are following in the spoken word traditions are finding it easier to get their, their work out. No, it's a, it's a time when I think you'll find the youth of today is, is looking on poetry as part of their everyday life. And you are able to, and I'm, in a minute, I'm going to ask you to read some of your own verse, but you're able to communicate so succinctly. I mean, I, I mean, your your poetry is it's masterful, and I wonder is something about social media. Everybody decries social media; it's 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 dumbing us down or it's numbing us. But is there something about that medium that actually the 140 characters, whatever, where you have to pick your words? I mean, T.S. Eliot said, you know, philosophers don't understand their metaphors, and he's like a poet always understands his metaphors, mm. right? I mean, that's is there something about social media that makes people attentive to words in a way that you know i i since we're right at the beginning of what we're calling this digital or social media or whatever it's really hard to say and because it's being played out uh, with the death throes of uh the horrific triumph of capitalism it's also hard to figure out because it's being used so much for greed fakery anti-poetry that uh, to find out how poetry really can uh, push it into an evolution that it does what you're saying. Right now, I'm seeing um, the millennials sit around a table and text each other instead of talking to each other, and that's because it's just it's a novel thing, and it's it's the it's it's the talking thumbs instead of the talking drums that we got now, and. So uh, people got to remember that first consciousness, orality, the actual talking. I can't believe that text 
has taken the place of phone calls. Oh, yeah. You know, I love the intricacies of the human voice, Me the too. real connection. That's why we're doing the podcast. Exactly. Of course, podcasts are happening too, see? So so this kind of aliveness is also available in the ears, and people are socking it to them, you know, with this. But uh, the, so we, I don't know which way it's going, but you're right. The idea of condensation, of saying it quick and getting out of there is something that poetry has, you know, is one aspect of poetry. You know, the poem right now that has got the most play out of the unspoken, which is a, just, again, a play on, on this, exactly what we're talking about. A book is simply the unspoken yeah. word. Yeah, but when you read it, are you hearing it? When somebody reads it to you, you get to hear it. Here's, here's the poem. It's called Every word, yeah. Every word in a poem is a poem. Mm. That's it. You know, so uh, every word in a poem is a poem. That's eight eight uh, words. You know, and it's a it's a it's a neat way of digging into every poem um, and every word of every poem. And uh, you know, so um, what were we talking about? Yeah, were, were you a, as a kid? Yeah. Were you articulate as a kid? Yeah, unfortunately, you know, you, it's just sweet of you to, to talk about my condensing language because I think there's a lot of my friends who would say that I'm a blabbermouth, you know, and uh, and I do. I'm in love with language and love to to spin it out there. Yeah, I w- when I was going into third grade, people warned me that uh, that they were going to have to do book reports that year. Book reports, you have to stand in front of the class and tell them about. And the you were like, "Let me at it, give it to me." <laughs> How many others are out there, you know? It's like this classic story of how you get to be a poet. First you write the poem, then you take it to the teacher, then the teacher accuses you of copying it for something. <laughs> you know, that's the way you start to be a poet. I was lucky because when I told Miss Klein that I'd written it myself, she believed me. A lot of a lot of the young poets, young, nine-year-old, you know, second graders, third graders, the teacher doesn't believe him and says, go sit in the corner. Yeah. And that's your, your marvelous payoff for being a poet. You get to sit in the corner. Who was the uh, first poet you remember reading? Like as a kid, like, do you remember? Was it like Frost or something? Who was it? Do you remember? Ooh, well, I, you know, the first poets I read, I guess Margaret Wise Brown was the first poet I read. You know, I, I consider her books like Goodnight Moon and The Color Kittens and Mr. Dog are um are are uh, you know are poetry to me and they're just beautiful beautiful i think she's very underrated dr seuss was probably the first in a doctor's office when i read uh and to think that it happened on mulberry street one of his first books i couldn't believe that when you were reading it as a kid do you think like were you thinking like i'm in a doctor's i could do this somebody could be looking at my like did you imagine you'd put your verse to to I could slightly imagine it. You know, I mean, the idea that these books actually had people behind them was not something that, uh, you know, struck me as, as reality at that point yet. Just like when I saw actors on the, in a movie, I, the idea that they weren't making up the words as they went along did not enter my consciousness. I told in second grade, I said I wanted to be an actress when I grew up. Everybody laughed at me. You were fluid before fluid. I thought actress, you know, it's a prettier word. Why not pick it? I didn't get that it was gender related. But also because I thought these are the people who walk across and just say things. And it's a movie. Did you find yourself when you saw actresses like mouthing the words that they were doing on the screen? Yeah. 
Yeah, that, yeah. That was it. I didn't know there was a writer and a director and all those people. Nobody told me about that stuff. This was, you know, Cincinnati, Ohio. Wow. Can you read some more <laughs> verse for us? Sure. Okay. How about uh, this poem that's called So Much Depends Upon a Red Wheelbarrow Glazed with Rainwater Beside the White Chickens? <laughs> That's on page 101. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Unspoken. Um, I'm not sitting here at the observatory in San Jose, Costa Rica, listening to Frank Baez, the Marilyn Monroe of Santo Domingo, hmm. read a poem, drinking in Imperiale, writing this poem. Why'd you choose that? Um, because we already, you know, I love to take a complete, I don't know if it's ever been done before. You all, there's a poet you love to do what's never been done yeah. before. Um, and I don't know if anybody has ever written a poem with the title being a complete poem. Yeah. So calling it so much depends upon a rib wheelbarrow glazed with green water beside the white chickens is kind of a move that I like. And what does that, what does so much depend on? What's so much depends on that I'm not sitting here at the observatory in, in San Jose, Costa Rica, listening to Frank Baez, the Marilyn Monroe, Santo Domingo, read a poem. Uh, but I was, of course, when I was writing this, and I was also drinking an Imperiale, very, very good Costa Rican beer, and I was writing this poem at that moment. And now that I'm reading it to you, you know, yeah, we can remember that, there, but yeah. I'm not doing it, but I, this is what I say. I'm not sitting here. So I'm writing it. And it's a lie or it's, you know, it, taking advantage of what writing can do. And then when I read it, it becomes true. I am not sitting there when I'm, when I'm reading it. G- G- it's like, it's like, I, <laughs> and I love Frank Baez. What can I tell you? <laughs> he is the Marilyn Monroe of Santa Domingo. It's like St. Augustine says, right? I, I know what time is in, until you ask me what it is and I can't explain it. Like, I mean, this is kind of what you're getting at, right? You, you, there's yeah. this, yeah. Th- there's this difference between the recreated moment and right. the moment. And, 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 you know, I mean, you, you, you make the words, you know, you're trying to put blood into ink, right? I mean, it's, you got it. You, you know, this is one thing that really has, is, 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 you know, at the top of my to-do list as a poet, can you get orality and spontaneity into a book, yeah. into writing? Can you keep that same kind of freshness? And this poem really works at that. Just as the title of this book, and on the, on the front cover of The Unspoken, it says, as non-oralized by Bob Holman. You know, so it's not like written by, it's non-oralized by, you know, we got to remember the, the, the purposes of poetry and that they are served both by first consciousness orality and by second consciousness text, because you get to play with it in this way, a whole new way. And you get to buy the book, which I hope people do, <laughs> you know, and, and third consciousness coming up too. I, we have no idea how it will serve poetry, but we know that it is. How do you, okay, so I, I'll just tell you, as I was reading your work, I, I just made annotations of things. I wanted to, like, it, for instance, I just opened up to one of the poems I, I loved. Uh, this is on page 15. <laughs> it uh, sounds like a hymnal, doesn't it? Right, exactly. When you see this book, it's like a catalog go. or a school textbook or something. So I, I, I love the look of this book. Oh, it's fantastic. Know? I mean, and for our listeners that can't see it, it, I mean, you should buy the book, but the cover yeah. is there's this dunce cap on the face of this guy with a crew cut. And this, there's this, the dunce cap is though it's not on top of his head. It's, it's his face. <laughs> it's in front of his eyes. It it's covers amazing. His face. Yeah. That's by Paul Zinkovich, a wonderful drawing. And it's actually got a poem on the cover called Who Knows? Who knows? Who cares? Why bother? 
How come? What possible difference could it make? Yeah. Yeah. You, so on page 15, the poem, at the bottom of the page, you have this great uh, two verses. To sleep in the naked night, the ocean wears a hat. And I was like, I just noted that because I wanted to ask you about that. Like, this is one of the things like Augustine with time. When I read it, I thought I knew what it meant until I thought about it. And then I was like, I don't have no idea what this means. But I marked it. I was sitting reading it. And I was like, this is, I want to ask him about this. The more I thought about it, I, I, the less, the more distant it got. But when I read it, I was there. How did you, what was that for you? That's, uh, you know, they said the poet is always the last to know what the poem means. You know, I, 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 it was just the, the ending for this poem, you know, which was based on a drawing, which was based on a poem. It was part of a big telephone-type game that a whole passel of artists got engaged with. So to me, that was the way that the sky looked at that uh, moment. It was the ocean wearing a hat. So, yeah, okay, I, I want like to ask you about something, though, yeah. as, as a poet, because you just said, hey, the poet is less. No. So we get in these debates in our culture about the Constitution and what people meant and, you know, the, the original authors. And I actually had someone on the podcast who was an expert in the Electoral College, and she was like, Madison didn't even, I mean, he was scribbling something together. They, they didn't even know what they meant. With it. Do you, I mean, do you find it like, as a poet who thinks about how words work, do you find it so... Like it's not, it almost seems banal that we think like that. Oh, well, we know what Jefferson meant or Matt, like right? Because I feel like what you're saying is like words get away from you. Yeah, and you don't know what they mean until they're yeah, out there, right? Yeah, you know, um, that's uh, you know, but but the, but the but but what do you do? You talk about it or you write about it, and the meaning of the language is always shifting. You know, like I'm, I work a lot with endangered languages. You know, and the thing about a language is it's your every it's 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 always mutating always changing always gaining always losing all you know there is no such thing as a, as as the language is trying you why know. do you work on endangered languages well i got there because of uh of orality which i believe in as a carrier transporter of uh of poetry and of consciousness transporting individuals that you know the you get transported through a poem and the poem gets transported through the, uh, the language. Well, at any rate, blah, blah with that. The fact is that orality, this way of thinking still exists in the world, primarily in small languages that have never been written down or if they've been written down as through a linguistic uh, method of phonology rather than having words in a literature. They don't. They talk to each other. They still sing the poems. They still work under the maxims that they've learned how to how to how to to grow the crops and how to go to bed you know but uh and, and what i discovered this is this i've i've stumbled on this when i was trying to figure out where hip-hop came from in africa and went to africa ran into these great poets who are oral poets who play the chorus, this uh, 21 stringed instrument and sing their poems the way that homer did and it's still happening it's an amazing amazing you know way to to learn about oralities to live in that culture well the fact is that these small languages are dying at a rate that's never happened before. How is that happening? You know, people love their language. It's who you are is the language you speak. We, that's, that is a basic part of identity. And yet people are giving it up. And I think it's partly because of the way that social media, as you put it, the internet brings everybody together. That's great. But everybody getting together means you want to either speak English or Mandarin, you know, um, 
And, and when you, I guess when you, so have, they're getting endangered just to bring it back it, we, technology and things, right? Like you, you know, in pre-modernity, you build a building the way you know how, but you know, in modernity, everybody builds similar buildings because we know certain things about technology, right? I mean, I guess, is there kind of a commodification the same way? Well, exactly. It, yeah. You know, and it's the same thing with endangered languages as it is with endangered species of plants and animals. But we know how endangered species of plants and animals fit into the physical ecology of the planet. What we don't give value to is how it, these endangered languages all put together give us a picture of the through human consciousness, through culture of what these plants and animals are and what they do, you know, and how the human condition coexists. And so, with it, all do you, this. part is part of the reason you work with this stuff is like if it if we lose it, we lost the story that we can never get back. That's right, and we lose information about the about what plants heal what things and what plants. Send you off into ayahuasca glories and all of this kind of thing, as well as the other parts of the of the culture that were used for survival. A, a language is a survival toolkit, you know, and we're we're forgetting how to survive as we tear down the forests. I'm gonna just read like something I you know randomly highlighted. Uh, I, I love this. Uh, this is from your book when you were a young man. Life yeah. poem. Um, this is on page thirty six. It's uh, you have this great line: the great womb escape your brain slurped into the head encasement peering out of two little holes. Look on down for surprises. Yes, a body too for running around. It seems to be going somewhere. You come too. I just, I mean, again, I was reading these poems. I was just marking things, like mm-hmm. ask about that, like this, the strange experience of embodiment, right? Like, and I felt like you got me there like into thinking about what was it like when i was just learning i couldn't remember differentiate how how i'm not you and not the world and not my mother and not this and that strange journey of becoming a subject I mean, it's just like in a couple verses i felt like you got at something that i was like gosh this is this is one of the mysteries of of of, of human subjectivity well this is you know life poem which is a single poem that I wrote when I was, you know, 19 to 21, is, uh, you know, I was a lot closer to that moment then than I am now. And while some of it seems, you know, so juvenile, it's also that you're you're right. I think that this guy is talking about... Um, the, uh, the, be- the begin, birth, the beginnings of consciousness and, uh, the begin, you know, beginning of life itself. Um, y- and you are encased in your body. The whole thing about life poem is that, is that, is, is that tension between life and poem. You know, can you bring your daily existence and this ancient, marvelous, continually future, continuing future art form together into one so that life becomes a poem? And this guy is trying to talk about what it would be if, what it is if you are living this poem. Now this is that moment, you're exactly right, when, when you come out and you're, you feel yourself encased in the body, like you're talking about, but you look, you look down, there's, it, it seems to be going somewhere. Where am I going? And then it says, you come to, like you are coming to into consciousness. But also it says, it's the pun of orality, right? You come to. Yeah. The other, the the reader, you come too. Yeah, you're and not you're not an I without a thou. There it is, and and you know, and I of course, in in I'll tell you, uh, dear listeners, that this word is spelled T O in this. It could have been spelled T O O, you know, but it's but but when you hear it, you don't know, 
And it's that, that again is getting into the essence of language and allowing it to play. And I was doing that at 19. And the preposition is interesting because it invites to a place as opposed to like you come also. It's, it's you come and, and, and it's almost like the place is not made unless the person journeys with you. The poem is not written until somebody reads it. Yes, yeah, I, I didn't read Life Poem as Juvenile. I mean, oh, great. Yeah, okay. It, 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 <laughs> let me take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month or more? It's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Ken Skillman, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Sally Graham, Peter Steigerwald, Jennifer Spate, Ben DeHart, Joel Wentz, Jordan DeMice, Samantha Conower, Simone Garabedian, David Norling, Charlotte Donlin, Larry Rule, Stephen Lipless, John Schneider, Ben Crosby, Liam O'Brien, Jim Cress, Stephen Rowe, Jordan Morseberger, Josh Redder, Jody Stevenson, Andrew Stravitz, Glenn Stalsner, Greg Johnson, and Kai Winkhenig. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening. And now back to the show. Yeah. I mean, I could just, I could just talk about some other things. I, I, uh, <laughs> I love this line. The romantic apple of Eve fame this is on page 12 of Eve fame was offered to a young lad of 12 yesterday by his maiden aunt of around 40. She was so lonely. And while babysitting her in a nightgown, so hot, and she urged him to, and very scared, oak, oaked, okayed the new game. Nervous, her hands twisted the zipper, and it broke through her stick fingers, and her blood gushed in symbols on grass-stained pants. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, God, this is primordial. Yeah, well, it's pretty primal, at least. Oh my gosh, you can write that, you know? Like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm glad it, it works. You know, I, I have no idea how this is going to be. I wrote this, this, you know, this was my official entry ticket into the world of poetry. I've been accepted into this self-structuring community. Um, it had been a school before at Cummington Community of the Arts. It used to be Cummington School of the Arts up in the Berkshires. And uh, there was a little ad in the Columbia Spectator, artists wanted for self-structuring community. That was me. I sent in. I got accepted as a poet. I w- it blew my mind. I'm really a poet. I got accepted into this place. And I went there, and we're at what once had been a school where there were teachers and students. Now everybody was a teacher. Everybody was a student. I said, well, if they say I'm a poet, I must be a poet. I better get busy and write a poetry book. I wanted I just write a book length poem and so boom I did and it, everything that poured in it starts off desperate now I start to write down everything I see isn't that what it begins 
Yeah. Now I've started to write down everything that comes into my head, even better than seeing. I just lay it out right here as if the lines paper had become some sort of garbage disposal, accepting and grinding everything I can throw out. If this were a giant baseball game, this paper would be Willie Sehay Mays, great center fielder, making deliciously slow basket catches of every ball hit by every batter in either league. I love I love the the pause being deliciously slow oh. basket catches like you, it's almost like you don't know what he's going to do he's doing it deliciously slow oh they're basket catches I mean, yeah he's, you know and you got to know that's kind of the jargon of it you know that you know that that you put your glove you know f- with the the palm facing up and allow the ball to just sort of fall yeah. into it you don't grab it it's not snagged it just were you a baseball player in. I was a baseball player. On the years when I was the older, I played catcher. And on the years when I was younger, I played second base. Yeah. You know, what, what strikes me <laughs> is so interesting about baseball, as opposed to most every other game that Americans like, is there's no clock, yeah. right? It's over when it's over. It, you know, it has its own rhythm. Yeah. There, the beginning and the end, you can't, it's like a poem, right? There's no, you know, there's no mm. proper length or proper, mm. you know, it's, yeah. You know, the the game is when it is, right? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that, you got yourself a metaphor that's alive there, Scott. <laughs> I'm I a like Philistine. But watch. Okay, but be careful. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you, like, so, do you imagine ever, like, hey, if I could go back to young Bob and tell him something, like, do you ever think about that? Like, what would I, what would I or, or, or would you be afraid you'd spoil it? Like. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think of uh, Cheswav Miwosh's poem, The Gift, where he says, the man I used to be no longer embarrasses me, you know, and that's a great place to get to. I don't know that I've got there yet. You know, the other day I was talking with Paul. That's a, that's a whole a big thing about acceptance. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you have to look at your life uncensoriously, yeah, right? Like, thank you. Yeah, you, you got to get there. Um, and I'm hoping this book will help me to get there. Um, but, uh, I just say, don't be an asshole, you know, um, <laughs> easier said than done, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, then I was talking with Paul Beatty the other day and I said, Oh, geez, when I look back on it, I think, I, yeah, we did, you know, we, amazing things happened, but I felt I was such an asshole. And he says, well, sometimes you need an asshole to get things done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So what do you say to me? I don't know. I just sort of look at this guy like I do at the cover photo, you know. He's a viral guy. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, the the cover, I mean, young Bob is like this, you got this walking stick. You you look like, (laughs) and this is before everyone's going to the gym. You just looked fit, you know, like. This was one of those black and white photos that got hand colored before, you know, that it was, there were color photos at this time, 1969, but, um, they still use this technique that had developed of taking a black and white photo and hand tinting it so that it would look color. And it's got this crazy faded, you know, antique kind of look about it. Do, do you think that part of like the asshole of, of youth is like it, 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 the, the sense that you can control more than you probably can control? Oh yeah. You know, everything. Yeah. It's like what did Mark Twain say? Like I, I, my dad was so dumb when I left at 18, when I came back at 21, I was surprised at all he learned. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, and uh, this book is filled with that kind of marvelous naivete, you know, that thing that you read about being encased, you know, and looking down at your body, you know, all of that is, you know, just the discovery of life that you're doing and the joyfulness of it, you know, it's, yeah, there's a, you know, that's, 
it's neat to not be nostalgic to have that kid speak for himself yeah you know that's this is we just i just found this book a few years ago what was it like when you first reread it as a as as a different bob like i, I was embarrassed i'm sorry cheswoff wow <laughs> but i was cuz if i could have written Anything like this, I would not be embarrassed. Well, now I'm feeling much better about it. Now that I'm re- <laughs> now that I'm reading it to people, and I'm you know I'm going back to the um, you know the, the people that I knew in those days who knew this book and me then, and getting this story back from them, it really is is feeding me. You know, it's very nutritious, and to have it come out on the same day. That this book, uh, this big book of recent poems comes out, sort of does bookend things. You know, on the on the front of the of life poem, there's that 19 year old. On the back is the 70 uh, year old Bob with his grandchildren. Yeah, reading. There, you know, you, do you think young Bob would have ever seen himself Not with grandchildren? Years. And I mean, I loved kids, and that's what got me together with yeah. my wife. Was that we both wanted kids quick, and that happened. But um, this. Uh, you know, I, I didn't think I was, you, you, when you read life poem, the, if you're 40, you're old, if you're 70, you, you just basically <laughs> dead, right? don't yeah. exist. Yeah. And I didn't really think that I would, you know, be able to get to here. And a lot of my friends aren't here anymore. So it's, you know, it wasn't, it's just the, just the luck, you know, and when you, poetry. When you lost your wife, right? She's deceased, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. How long ago was that? 12 years, 13 12 years. Yeah. Uh, have you loved again or? Oh, well, I have been in a relationship okay. now and it's happened, but it took a long time. And grief comes in all different uh, guises. Yeah. You know, you think you're done and you're not. And, uh, you know, it was a, it was a really rough and treacherous uh, um, period to lose Elizabeth. And um, still, you know, there's a bunch of poems for her in, uh, in the unspoken and there's a film that I've done that's going to come out in the in the spring about about the you know, poems I wrote for her paintings for her last show Elizabeth Murray's paintings and um, I'm very happy about this talking pictures you know because it does it show I, I'm like just like I said trying to get the orality into the poem in in talking pictures I'm reading the poems sometimes straight out of my notebook they haven't even been finished yet and and also it's a guided tour of the painting so you see through the painting into my interpretation my vision of it but also into the relationship of elizabeth and me what i knew what we were up to at the time that these paintings were being made so all of that adds uh, something to the poem as i perform it in this sort of chaotic and energized performance style just style I wonder, you know, you talked about like your work on endangered languages and, and the loss of things that can never be spoken again. I mean, you lose a love like that. Are there things that as you look at that work, I mean, it, it, the rally, I mean, it, 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 is there a sort of like lostness even to well, the words that are there? Yeah, that's interesting. You know, the um, those poems were written um, a couple of years ago when her show was up. Uh, you mm. know, so I, I wrote about each of the paintings. I wrote what they call ekphrastic art based on other art, ekphrastic poems for inspired by her work. Where I feel it is in the poems that are in uh, in the unspoken because uh, I really have the poems. Some of the poems I wrote, you know as she lay dying and um, the loss is built in there. And also the hope in a poem that 
the poem can somehow uh, salve the wound or even make death not happen, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, poetry was part of it, but, you know. It sounds like, like part magic, part prayer, part incantation or something. Yeah, yeah, that's, 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 that's well said. You know, you use every technique in the book, um, and then you have to get a new book. You know, and then you that's, no, and that's great. Good, you know, use every technique in the book and then get a new book. I mean, that is because so often I think, you know, I, 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 there was this Christian psychologist that Lewis meets or something. He's a religious psychologist. He said, I've been married seven times to the same woman. Huh. And he talked about like these death and resurrections that had to happen. Right. And so often, right. Well, we can't progress is we can't get a new book. And, and that's a great phrase for life, right? Like, get a new book. Like, and don't discard the book you have mm. before it's done. But could you read a little more verse for us? Just whatever tickles your fancy. Well, I could be, just read you my favorite notations, but like, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to hear what you want to read. Well, how about by the book? Whenever someone reminds me to do something by the book, I always ask them if they can lend me some cash so I can go ahead and buy the book. <laughs> I remember that at the beginning of the book. Yeah. And there's an, this next one is called by the book before you can do something by the book, you have to write the damn book. Yeah. Uh, so this, I wonder if I can find something for Elizabeth here. And, uh, um, uh, I don't, this is really not what we should be doing on a, on a podcast. That's okay. There's read, no, there's uh, no rush. Read, uh, there's no rush. I'll, I'll, I'll read, uh, it is night. Oh, here's one. That's really, this is called in passing. I'll read those two. Oh, yeah. In passing, mention quickly a lung, one only, that holds air for entire planet. Well, when the elevator decides on its own how many floors, there you go. For kissing complaints, stand over there in the sadness line. When she passed from life, I remember that last kiss. And following was a moment of boats appearing on dry land. They were rescue boats making headway against the wind just hold on a bit longer just hold on to me that boat's on dry land i mean is it the is it the ceasing of motion like this thing where things stop i mean the boat is Mm. it's a thing of beauty and yet it it, she was you know she had this uh vision as she was dying on the day that she died of um vaporetto in the Mm. corner of the room she was she loved venice and we had just been to venice she was in the Biennale just a month before she died. So um, we, uh, so she that. So this is quoting her. We were. Would you show her your work before it was like in process, or did you? Was she an editor muse for you? Like, how did she definitely muse? She never, you know. Like, yeah, they were relying around, just like her paintings in progress were lying around, and I was using them for inspiration. I don't know how. I don't think she was using my poems for inspiration, but she, we would gas around and and uh, and you know sometimes I she she took the words and they became the titles. Not often, and she also would tell me to shut up because I was talking about what I was seeing, and she didn't want to know what I what I was seeing. Was she more introverted than you? I mean, yes. Do you think there's something about that visual medium too? Like it's different than. The, I mean, I I don't know. It's, it's, I'm sure there's introverted writers you know, I mean, too, but yeah, but yeah, oh, sure there are. Sure, so many. My, my, you know, my my girlfriend now, you know, is uh, is she's a she's a songwriter and singer and actor. She's but she's much more introvert, and that's, I think it's you know you you pair up like that, you know. But it's it's a different form. I love uh, collaborating, and Elizabeth and I collaborated a lot. We met 
collaborating on a play that I directed and she did the sets for. She told me, oh, it's, uh, man, I don't get this script at all. The script was four pages only, written dialogue, written by Edwin Denby, the dance critic and poet. And they were just sort of plucked out of the air, scraps of dialogue. He said, what are we going to do here? And I said, it's really simple. I'm going to take the nouns and you. No, I'm going to take the verbs and you're going to take the nouns. Wow. So she had she so she built these freestanding uh, pills and f- telephone and forest and s- uh, trees and sky uh, clouds and uh, then the actors threw them all around. <laughs> they were, were could be six feet tall. These pills, you know, and they threw them around and sat on them, and that became the play. That's how we met. I mean, in Plato's the, the Phaedrus, right? He has that critique of writing, where you know the guy, the, the god of invention, comes from the king of Egypt, and I've got this great thing, and it's gonna make everybody smart. And the king's like, no, it's gonna make everybody dumber because they're gonna seem like they know. Yeah. And you know, I mean, it's funny that he he critiques writing yeah. in writing, but but yeah, he yeah. he had dialogues. I mean, this this kind of well, do you think that he he didn't write it? He was uh, he was critiquing writing. I would imagine I, you you know more than me, but. He was, you know, didn't he just speak? He didn't write. Right. I mean, you know? yeah, it's an oral tradition. Yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah. it is an oral so tradition. You know, I mean, it's probably written to, but... but it's but, the but, same thing that people are saying now about the internet, right? I mean, yeah. it, it, it hasn't... This is only the second time it's happened in consciousness, you know, is a switch from one method of transmission of language to another. We're living through it, and it's very painful. <laughs> oy, oy, oy. <laughs> but you, But you strike me as somebody that is not defensive about it which is interesting to me. oh hey man you know poetry is you know must drive the train here or the whatever the space capsule whatever we're driving at this point this poetry drives the self-driving car yeah that's what drives it yeah <laughs> i mean that's what we stay alive for right yeah. for these moments that yeah. we want to put to verse can you read a little more verse for us okay let's see um let's see um Oh, oh boy, I don't know what to read. Okay, everything is coming up roses underneath the snow. <laughs> snow, unsnow now. It's one word, unsnow now. I beg Buddha to replace my windshield. Morning, you awake, morning happening all around you, dot on map. You are part of morning world. You are in it. This is comforting the sun entering, invited or not, the tide on the sand, same what else, everything, slowly returning, positioning chairs and rugs and bedside tables, gray, ghosty eyes, unfocused thee, so focus on nothing, drift, drift, sleep, leaves like breath from someone dying, the idea of getting up out of bed is the thought that crosses the river on a raft. What you will do is this, the big pants, the long rubber coat, the hard red hat that covers your neck. Step into the boots, slide down the pole to the barking Dalmatian, hop aboard, off you go to fight the fires of morning. So I'm taking it you're not a morning person. <laughs> I, I basically am. You are. I, you am, are. I know. It, it sounds like it. And I'm going, I am. Yeah, I, guess I, am. I, I mean, I like the morning too. I get up, I get up, I get going, you know, and I'm fighting the fires out there. Is some of it the new beginning? I mean, I feel like if you're a night owl, right, like on some level, like the, the clinging to what was, but, but the, the, I mean, in this poem, it, it, morning is an invitation. Like there's, this is the new thing. Like there's a, 
who's embrace of what can be. It's not, it's not retrospective. It's prospective. Yeah. Yeah. You just got to put your right outfit on. (laughs) Good thing. The pole is in the right place. How did you choose what to wear today? Um, I didn't wear what I thought I was going to wear. I got up. For our listeners, you have this very smart vest. We have similar Ah. colored charcoal pants. Uh, and you have a very cool gray shirt. I mean, you, yeah, it's a plaid, old brown plaid shirt, flannel shirt. Yeah. Um, I was going to wear a white shirt, but uh, I got up and I had to go downstairs to the Bowery Poetry Club, which is, I, I live three flights up. I, if I had a fireman's pole in, by my bed, I'd land up on stage at the Bowery Poetry Club. So I went down because last night Jill Bialoski was reading at the club and she left her glasses. So I went down to see, to get them. And, uh, you know, the door was open, unusual that time of the morning, nine o'clock, nine thirty. I went in and my, it was a, there was a movie shoot going on. I couldn't believe it. Wow. A complete movie shoot. There was smoke. It was a nightclub scene. The waiters were coming through with champagne. People were dancing. You know, I, I, it was a complete, I opened the door and luckily I didn't go in because they were, they were in the middle of a shoot night. Nothing happened. But when they broke, I went, tried to get to the lost and found box. I couldn't even get to the lost and found box. It was so filled with, <laughs> with gaffer's equipment and all this stuff, you know? So, uh, I mean, and this to me is New York and this is going to put out the fires of morning. You go down to check on Jill Bialoski's glasses and you wind up in a movie set, you know? That's do do you way. think like a lot of anxiety about like Brexit, immigration and stuff and all these things in our culture is, is this? feeling of people and there's of course racism and xenophobia and stuff but is some there's something about people shocked at the place they knew is different Mm. Mm -hmm. i I mean i wonder if like donald trump like this is part of like we're going to say merry christmas again and i mean there's the person that's banal an extremist and yet he's catchy with words like Mm. it's Mm. it's as if we're going to we're make all the We'll make all the smoke go away and it'll just be the poetry club like it was. There won't be a movie set mm. and we'll get, we'll say Merry Christmas mm. again and it's, it'll be great again. I mean, is there something about in a fast changing world, like these promises that will going back? Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, yeah, yeah. You, you, you nailed something here because, uh, you know, it is this shift of consciousness, this ability to use technology before we know how to use technology. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and who gets to use it is the people who got the money. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. you know, and the rest of us are being completely abused by it. And yet, you know, the dailiness goes by and you've got your comforts and it's okay. And, you know, it's just totally nuts and everybody is stressed out. And poetry is a, 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 a wonderful Sort of, you know, not, not, what salve again is to 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 this kind of of chaos, nuttiness, abuse, the gaslighting, and the horrors that are coming. I mean, at the same time, you know, we are facing up to the racist history of 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 this country now. You know, starting to in a way that hasn't happened before. My life. that's great. We are, you know, facing the fact that. There's male and there's female and there's everything in between yeah. and there's the extremes on beyond on beyond male on beyond female you know so you know these are things that now you know and and pot is getting legalized <laughs> finally and you know, you know people are you can't smoke anymore tobacco it's it's you know it's some things change immediately. Some things never change. Some things go backward. Like we've got this guy in the 
in the in the presidency that should not be there you know so um yeah i mean people do i mean it's it's not like we remember our parents saying back in the day yeah you know it's a, it's different, a different back yeah. in the day <laughs> I, 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 you know it's interesting to I me don't too know. i with that, that from life poem when you talked about embodiment now, there's this guy harry frankfurt retired philosopher from princeton he wrote the short monograph after his retirement called on bullshit, on bullshit. Yeah. i know it that's yeah, so it great. Yeah. and his follow-up was yeah. on the truth and he yeah. talked about why truth is so important he said because the concept of it is it, you learn that there's something outside of you so so it's i thou not i like that that there's a reality and that's part of human development that's healthy you realize you're not the whole world you know you know where you end and the world begins. And I wonder, like, in the post-truth kind of society, are we in danger of no more I, thou? Like, if everyone has their own truth, if everyone has their, their own, like, if there's no, like, we got to take the language back. we yeah. got to take the yeah. language back. And I think you do that by inviting people into the writing. You know, what fake news has going on is, oh, I'm going to tell you the truth, and everybody believes it, and you got to believe it too, and here it is. But what the truth does is it says, here's the truth, experience it, and you'll see, and you'll see, you know, the foundations will be solid. You won't be running it doesn't around need to weapons. the next. Yeah. The truth doesn't need weapons. Exactly. Yeah, I, I feel like the, the, the post-truth needs weapons. And right? it's, it's weaponized, and you feel you got to be on the right side of the weapon. You got to be with the shooter, not with the shot, you know? And, uh, it, and it's, yeah, you've got to turn it around and, yeah, find, I mean, it's so, such a deeper connection you get with the truth. You know, it's such a sensationalist frizz with, with these, uh, with, 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 the, with the fake shit, you know? And, you know, poetry is there to do that, you know? Can you co-opt poetry? I don't, that's, that's something we're going to, you know, be aware of. Um, so are you as comfortable in your skin as you seem? Cause you strike me as pretty comfortable in your skin. Oh, only when I'm on a podcast, <laughs> if I'm performing, I mean, if I'm very comfortable, you know, but if you get me at home alone, which happens a bunch, you know, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm the quiet desperation. <laughs> everybody else, you know, I think, but I do meditate and that's been very helpful. Yeah. So, and, uh, you know, and I got, you know, I've, I've got a wonderful family, even if all three of my kids are living in California. So you go there very often. I go there. I'm going to be going out there in a few weeks when, when daughter number one has her baby number one. Wow. And then back again in March when daughter number two has her baby number two. What do your kids think about your poetry? Do they oh, they're very supportive, as was Elizabeth, you know. And, you know, after I left the New Yorican Poets Cafe, it was my family who said, you know, it seems to us, I was teaching and things were going along fine. But they said, it seems to us you haven't finished the job that you were doing over there. Why don't you open up your own club? So that's how the Bowery Poetry Club got started. And, uh, you know, it really it continues to this day, although we're looking for a new director. So if anybody is listening, if you're listening here and you're a director, you're getting a word. Let me ask you, I'm sure a lot of our listeners like have want to have a greater appreciation of poetry and just don't know where to get into it. Like, I mean, what yeah. would you do? Do people ask you that? Like, hey, you're a poet. How do I get into poetry? You just, yeah, that, not not so much anymore. To tell you the truth, Scott, I think people are finding their ways because you know, hip hop is poetry, yeah. and we all know that now. You know, when hip hop came out, and I said that, people told me that I was out to lunch. That was 
you know, hip hop is, you know, is, you know, is a musical form that's going to be a quick fad and out of here. And of course, now hip hop, which is a genre of poetry, is bigger than poetry. Yeah. And you can't ex- understand that unless you understand poetry, which is you can't understand it. <laughs> So you, you you don't worry. I mean, you just kind of think it's all around you. If you're just tuned into it, you like, if you, if, if if you appreciate hip hop, it won't be long before you're going to get into Wordsworth and all sorts of stuff. Wherever it leads you, you know, just like you don't start listening to jazz by listening to Ornette, you know, or Cecil Taylor or anything, you know? Um, but, uh, that's the same, it's the same story I was telling in life poem, you know, that you do it. Life poem ends with, uh, have you discovered yet? that this is not a book. Mm. Poetry is a stance. Accept it and see. If you close your eyes and see the dancing spots, you will have created art. Should you open them to the world, you will have created life. This life poem jogs along on the tip of your eyelash, your witness. I feel like I've witnessed a lot. Uh, Bob, you've written, you've published two amazing books, like 50 Years Apart, Life Poem, and The Unspoken. <laughs> and I, uh, yeah, thank you. Like, I'm glad you laugh at the, at when you look at the cover, because you got crossed out words there. Bob yeah. Holman and the spoken word movement has been crossed out and un has been slipped in and it says the yeah but it's it's it's, funny. it's you i hope so yeah well thank thanks you. for writing these books over the years and, and for being keeping the tradition alive and thanks for talking with me scott we've had fun i couldn't think of a better way to celebrate the publication congratulations thanks thanks for listening to give and take if you like what you heard please do a couple things for me they are so helpful if you do them share this interview on social media or via email Or tag someone in a tweet or something and say, hey, this is great. Check it out. Spread the love and goodness if you found it here. Also, if you could go, please, 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 it takes like 60 seconds. Go to iTunes and write a review and give give a rating to the podcast. It really, really helps, especially as things are getting off the ground. And if you want to consider becoming a Patreon sponsor, you can just go right to the link on the podcast page, giveandtake.fireside.fm. You can find all the information there. Thanks to Bob for coming on the podcast. Do check out his works, Life Poem, and The Unspoken. You will not regret it. And thanks again to you for listening to Give and Take. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.